Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, We are now... um, at the halfway point, we're heading into the second half of a uh, 12-week series on uh, what we're calling, uh, actually a 10-week series on what we're calling religious detox. And so, um, you know, just just a brief um, kind of a, a, a explanation of what this means. If you if this is your first time here, uh, Dennis and I, our, our, our associate pastor, are defining religious as those practices and you know religious practices and 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 beliefs that somehow draw us closer to God make us more acceptable to God bring God's favor on us so things that we do and and things that we say and so forth uh, that that will bring us into more favor with God and we uh, believe that that is bunk, that we are already uh, in Christ, and, and that the gospel says that we, we've already arrived, so to speak, in terms of our relationship with God, that we can't improve on that. Okay, so, so um, toxins are uh, particles, uh, poisonous particles that um, invade a living organism and cause it to be sick. And, and so we believe that that can happen spiritually. And so anything that's added to the pure gospel of, of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, is these are, are, are poisonous particles that can cause things uh, in our souls to, to kind of draw away from God, to kind of pull back, to kind of feel distant from him, to lose our joy, to lose our peace, and, and start kind of getting on kind of a a rat wheel of performance, religious performance. And so we want to debunk that today, I mean, in this series. And um, and so I want to summarize what we've talked about in the first half of this series. Just brief, uh, like, overview. We've talked about God's unconditional love for us, unconditional love for us. We've talked about the fact that we're completely forgiven for all time, through what Christ has done for us on the cross. That we are totally saved through faith in Christ. Our salvation is intact. It's not something that slips away because we misbehave or because we start to doubt or, you know, whatever happens, we go through rough times. That we are made one with Christ by his finished work on the cross. That we are one with him. And then last week, Dennis talked about the fact that we are accepted by God in his beloved son. Absolute, total, complete acceptance forever in Christ. And so this morning, the title of my message is God is Holy and So Are You. And I, I just want to take a moment just to pray a little bit further. I just, I just feel led to do this. So I want to pray. So let's just, let's just pray. Just pray with me. Father, the, the gospel of grace sets our hearts free. It, it, it reignites that joy and that peace and that, and that well-being and that sense of intimacy and closeness with you that religion takes away. 
It detoxifies our, our hearts so that we're, we're no longer affected by those lies of the enemy that say that somehow we're not enough, that we're not okay, that, that we have to earn something or perform well or, or, or do certain things that, that draw your favor to us. God, I pray that this morning, this, this message about holiness would just set our hearts even more free. God, I pray for just a powerful anointing upon me right now as I share the word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So the, the word holy is, is a word that's kind of fallen on hard times. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a word that, that has been misused and misunderstood so much that we really do need to define our terms this morning. Because for some people, holy, holy or holiness is kind of an irrelevant term that has very, very little meaning. Like, like why would I want to be a holy Joe? Like, why, why would I want to ever say that I'm holy or ever want to be holy for that matter? I mean, what does it even mean? You know, it's just, it's kind of like um, other meaningless words. I'm trying to think of one right now, but, but it's just, it, it just, there's just something about this word that just doesn't relate to me at all. And then there are people that are, are serious Christians. They're very, very, they're very um, sensitive and, and, and have sensitive consciences. And, and they want to be everything God wants them to be. And, and they just strive after, you know, being pleasing to God and seeking God and just, and just longing for, for God to just, you know, just love them and accept them. And, and, and so they want to do anything they can to be close to God. But this, this whole thing of holiness really kind of keeps a, a wall up because to them, it really kind of means like absolute moral purity and perfection. So, so how many of you feel like you fit that, that mode right there? Absolute moral perfection and purity. Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. No, nobody's biting on that one. That's good. That's good. I hope by the end of the message you'll raise your hand. But anyway. And both of these people, I mean, both, both kinds of people, those who feel like holiness and holy is irrelevant and meaningless, and those who are like, it's this standard that they can never achieve, uh, would probably be terrified to read uh, Hebrews 12, 14 that says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Yikes. Wow, that just, didn't that put a little fear in your heart? Like, like, I mean, just think about that for a moment. Let us sink in. Without holiness, you're never going to see the Lord. That's a little terrifying, isn't it? So we're going to have to, like I said, define terms this morning. What is holiness? Is it? Is it sinlessness? Is it moral perfection? Is it this unattainable thing that, that God expects of us, but he, he raises the bar so high that it's just, it's like I said before, it's like trying to clear, instead of a high jump bar, a pole vault bar with no pole. That's what it feels like when, when we read, like the Sermon on the Mount, you know, all these things that, 
You know, you've heard it said, don't do this, but I'm saying don't do this, you know. You, you've heard it said, don't, don't kill. I, I, Jesus says, I say, don't even be angry with anybody or you've committed murder in your heart. Like, whoa, you know. How will I ever clear that bar? So what is holiness? Is it sinlessness? Is it moral perfection? Well, conventional religion says, yes, it is. Conventional religion says, yes, it is. And you better work hard on becoming holy. You better pray more and fervently and intensely and without ceasing. I don't know how you do that, but, you know, pray 24-7-365. That's a little hard to do. Do your spiritual push-ups. Earn your holiness badge. Come on now. Stop sinning. Do good works, especially in church. Serve, serve, serve. And stop cussing, Dennis. All this bull stuff has got to stop. I've already stopped. I've already repented. You need to, too. Dang it. And don't hang around bad people. Don't go to bars and stuff. Uh, Even if you don't drink and you're there to witness. You just stay away from those people. Come out of the world. Go to church every time the doors are open. Don't forget to tithe. 10% of the gross. And I just want to remind you that chewing tobacco is just as wrong as smoking it. Here's my motto. I don't smoke, and I don't chew, and I don't date girls who do. Where's my badge? Where's my badge? I'm being a little facetious, but, I mean, honestly, so much of Christianity has replaced the law with what, what they call the standards of holiness. And, and what about all those things that Paul says stop doing, you know? Like put away all filthy language from your mouth and, Dennis, and, uh, you know, all this stuff... But, but let me give you, I don't know if this is like a definition, but just more of an understanding of what holiness is really referring to. Holiness is relational, not behavioral. Okay? It is something that God does to us and with us and for us, and no one can do this for themselves. So just relax. Just take a big, deep breath of grace. Just breathe that pure mountain air of grace. Get away from that, you know, polluted stuff and just breathe us in. To be made holy is God doing something to us, in us, for us. It's awesome. You see, it's relational. You belong to God. You were created for holiness. You were created to be just like God, and God has been holy forever. You know, we, we kind of look at holiness as kind of something that, that is in contrast to the backdrop of sin. Before, sin. before we ever invented sin, God was holy. He's always been holy. But what does it mean that, he's, that he doesn't smoke? He doesn't go to bars? I will tell you that Jesus did that stuff. Well, I mean, he did smoke, I don't think. I don't know. I don't think smoking was a thing in, in, in Israel back in his day. But he did go to Matthew's party and 
you know, drink and feast with a bunch of uh, tax collectors, and they were the outcasts of society. And he got called on the carpet by the religious folks, by the way, for doing that. It just seemed like the sinners were always hanging around Jesus, and he loved it. He loved them. And so, um, does holiness mean separation from bad stuff? If that's the case, Jesus would never have come. So, what does it mean that God is holy? It's relational. You see, the Father and the Son and the Spirit had... First of all, I want to say this. Holiness, in, in a sense, means completeness. But it's completeness relationally. God has always been complete in himself. He's always been self-sufficient. He's always been perfect. He's always been... been um, uh, he, he's never lacked anything. See, I want to tell you something. God did not create you because he was lonely or bored. Like, he, he didn't say, you know, I've got to, this is so lonely floating out here in the middle of nothingness. I've got to create some, some people so I can have some entertainment. You know, it's like I'm going to create a zoo and put some monkeys in there so I can watch them and laugh sometimes, you know, because I'm bored. No, the Father and the Son and the Spirit dwelt in this family relationship for all eternity. And there was nothing but pure love between them. And they loved each other and they honored each other and they, they delighted in each other. And they had this incredible relationship. And then they wanted to, to share it with us. They wanted to create creatures to share with us. I'm going to talk about this some more. But you belong to God. And, and even though sin has, 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 had cost us that intimacy, that relationship, that holiness, God sent Christ to change that, to fix that, and brought us back into this relationship with him and has declared us holy because, simply because we belong to him. And you and I live and behave in a certain way because we're holy, not in order to become holy. We live out of who we are in Christ, not trying to earn something to get to a certain place or a certain point with God. Does that make sense? It, it, hopefully it will as we, as we go, go on through this. Holiness at its base is a relational word that speaks of who you belong to, not what you do. Let me say that again. Holiness is about who you belong to, whose you are, not what you do. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. We don't deserve to be holy. It, well, God seems to think we do, but anyway. That's why he came. That's why he came and, and, and did what he did. So, so by very, God's very nature, God is holy. He lives in this incredible union as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's whole. He lacks nothing. He's complete in himself. And I, I just wrote this down. He's beautiful in perfection and perfect in beauty. He's, that's why we worship him. <laughs> in fact, uh, that's why the angels were... So, so when the angels... Remember in Isaiah 6, Isaiah has this prophetic vision, and he sees... He, sa he says, I, I, I saw... You know, the temple, 
and, 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 and God was there, and the angels were there, and the angels were saying something. What were they saying? Holy, holy, holy. And I guarantee you, they were not saying moral, moral, moral. That's not what they were saying. They weren't saying sinless, sinless, sinless is the Lord God Almighty. They're like, what, what is sin? You know, I mean, it, it, sin doesn't happen in heaven. So, so, so what, well, they weren't pointing out that God was very moral or very sinless. Here's what I believe was happening. They were beholding the love and the honor and the glory that was happening among the members of the Godhead. They were watching this incredible familial uh, interaction between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And it was so glorious and so beautiful and so perfect and so honoring that they were blown away by that. And they were trying to articulate this, the relationships that they saw, the, the love between the Father and Son and the Spirit that was so glorious it was almost inarticulate. And so all they could do is just say, holy, holy, holy. Just perfect love, perfect relationship. They were observing that and they were in awe of it. Guys, it was, like, it was like the most beautiful sunset, the most beautiful mountain range, the most beautiful ocean vista on steroids. I mean, it was just like to observe that for the angels was amazing. And just like with everything else, God has invited us, he created us to be a part of that. And he's invited us back into that. Okay? to share in that completeness, that relational love, that wholeness. That's what he intends for us, to be a part of that, to, to be invited into that family, into that incredible hurricane of, of love and relationship. It's just amazing. Like It's mind-blowing to think about that you and I have been invited into the family of the Most High God. Let that sink in. When we messed it up, by sin, Jesus came and restored it. He restored it to us on the cross. Guys, I'm, I'm going to say something I've said a thousand times, but some of you haven't heard it. You and I were in the heart and mind of God for all eternity. And so was the atonement. It says that we were, we were adopted into God's family in his mind and heart, became his children before the foundations of the universe were laid. And the reason the foundations of the universe were laid is so that God would have a context to bring us into existence. And the Lamb of God was slain before the foundations of the universe were laid. He knew what we would do, and he took care of it eons ago in his own heart and mind. So, we messed it up, and Jesus came and restored it on the cross, which was always his intention, so that we could continue to share in his holiness, in his love, in his, this family relationship. So, no wonder Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, and I think we have this for the, yeah, Christ has become for us righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Let me put it a different way. Christ has become 
for you has become, that's, that's already happened for you, righteousness, which we'll talk about, Dennis will talk about next week, holiness and redemption. He's redeemed us. He's already done what it takes to make us righteous and holy. And so Christ has become my holiness and your holiness. To be holy is not to live a certain way or behave a certain way so that you earn the the title of holy so you can wear your little merit badge of holiness. You are holy because you are in Christ. Period. You're in Christ. He is whole and in him you are whole. He is full, and in him you are full. Let me share this real short scripture before I get to my main text. But this is, this is in Colossians 2. And, and all of the first uh, one and a half chapters of Colossians is just showing the glory and beauty of Christ and what he's done for us and who we are in him. And, and then it, this incredible statement is made in verses 9 and 10 of, of Colossians. For in Christ, all the now this is after the resurrection, the ascension, that Jesus is now our high priest in his, in his resurrection human body, still in a human body, see, seated at the right hand of the Father, and somehow also living inside of us. But this is the glorified Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, of the godness of Christ, dwells in bodily form. In other words, his human body doesn't restrict anything about his godness. He has fullness in himself now, the fullness of godness in, phys- in a physical body. And in Christ, <laughs> you have been brought to fullness. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He's full and you're full because you're in him and he's in you. Isn't that amazing? You have his completeness. Now, it, it, it just, you know, it, it seems impossible, really, when we think about it, that this could happen. I mean, after all, I'm only human. Well, you were created in the image of God, and he has restored you to that image, and you have his fullness. You are a new creation. You are in Christ Jesus. And, and, and listen to this. Jesus completes you. Jesus completes you. Not your girlfriend or your boyfriend, not your fiance, and not your spouse, Jerry Maguire. Jesus completes you. Jesus completes you. And in him, you are now complete. So I want to I explain how this happened, okay? I want to I talk specifically about how this happened. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be reading from Hebrews 10. And I want to explain the book of Hebrews for really quick what's going on. So um, there were a, a, a bunch of Jewish people that got a hold of the fact that Jesus was Messiah. Most of them missed that. But there were a group of Jewish believers that had, had converted to Christ and had become what we called uh, Messianic Jews. But they were undergoing a lot of persecution. And they were suffering for this. 
And some of them were abandoning their faith and going back into Judaism. And the writer of Hebrews is horrified by this. And he writes this entire 13-chapter letter to, to these Hebrews, and he says, please do not go back to, to the deadness of an old covenant that is now over. It's done. That, that old covenant has been replaced by something new. It is obsolete. It is no longer even in, uh, in any way functioning. Even though that you know the Jews are still making sacrifices and doing all their ritual stuff, all that stuff has really passed away in terms of its importance and its effectiveness because it never really was effective. And he talks about how that the law was just a shadow of things to come and, and the sacrifices were endless. And every year they would sacrifice over and over again. Every year sacrifices for sins. And, and it would cover their sins for another year. And, you know, as soon as you started sinning again, you'd have to wait a year for that to be taken care of. Or you could bring your own, you know, animal sacrifices and all this stuff. It was just bloody, bloody, bloody. It just says those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. But here, I want to pick up in verse 4. Verse 4 says of chapter 10 now, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Impossible. Therefore, when Christ came into the world to do what he had determined to do eons ago in eternity, he said, Christ said this, and this is a quote from from Psalm 40. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, O God. He's talking to his father. But a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased, he said. Verse 9. Then Jesus said, Christ said, Here am I. I have come to do your will, Father. See, see Jesus didn't come here to save us from God. <laughs> this, was, this, was a, this was an agreed upon eternal um, answer to sin. This is something that Father, Son, and Spirit conspired together in all eternity to do for us once we fell, once we sinned. And so here's what he says. I love this. He then said, here am I, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first, talk about covenant, old covenant, to establish the second, much better covenant, permanent covenant, eternal covenant. This time it's not with humans and God, it's with the Son and the Father, and we're included in the Son. So we're in covenant with God through Christ. And we can't screw this up. <laughs> we cannot mess this up. Because listen to what it says in verse 10. This is the pinnacle. The, 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 this is the, the high point of this whole thing. And by that will, talking about the will of God, that Jesus would come and suffer for us and take care of our sins and make us holy. And by that will, we have been made holy. Have been made holy. Through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Drop the mic. That's it. He's done it. If you're in Christ, you have been made holy. 
I got a call on Friday from a precious woman who was beside herself with excitement. She said, Neil, I think I just led my daughter to Christ. I might have messed it up, so I got to run this by you. And I said, I don't think you can mess this up. I said, did, you, did she ask Jesus into her heart? She said, yes. I said, then you didn't mess it up. She's as saved as she can be. And she said, well, we're, we're, we're going to go home, back to her house. And then she wants me to pray with her husband and, and son. And so this lady got to lead her daughter, her son-in-law, and her grandson to Christ on Friday. Isn't that awesome? I just, we just keep having people in our church cross the chicken line and go. She had never led anyone to Christ. She gets to re- lead her entire daughter and family to Christ in one fell swoop. But I want to tell you something. Yeah, that's, that's worth applauding. That's what I'm talking about here. The gospel will set you free to do stuff like that when you're not navel-gazing and trying to figure out if you're holy or not. You know. That's not in the sermon notes, but anyway, that's a freebie. Um, but I, want, I just want to say that her daughter, her son-in-law, and her grandson are just as holy as anyone else in this room and Jesus. Just as holy. Somebody, I've heard several people say this, actually. When we get saved and start this Christian race, we've already, we start at the finish line. <laughs> we start at the finish line. We've already run, won the race, and we haven't even run a step. That's just how awesome this is. Now, you say, but, but Neil, I don't feel holy. I don't feel holy. I, you know, the day after I got married, I didn't feel married. I still felt like a single guy who really wasn't ready to give up his independence. But 31 years later, I can guarantee you I, I, was, I was married that day. And I'm better off for it. I love my wife. I didn't even know her at that point. It's taken 31 years to get to know her. Guys, guys it, yeah, you, you may not feel holy, but I want to tell you something. Feel, feelings have so little to do with this that, I mean, it's hardly worth mentioning. Now, I'm not saying feelings aren't important. Feelings are a red light on your dash that says something may be wrong. I got this friend that um, I knew him as a kid, and then the next time I, I met him, he was in his in his early 40s, and he had come to Christ in crisis, in the foxhole. He was experiencing PTSD, depression, anxiety, and he came to Christ as kind of like, like a lifeline. I don't care how you come, just come. You can be having the greatest life of all time, and still you need to come to Christ. You need what I'm talking about this morning, because it's so much better than not being with Christ. Because he offers you abundant life. He offers you a life beyond anything you could ever imagine. But this, this poor fellow, you know, could feel Christ in his life. And, and I could really relate. I didn't, I've never had PTSD that I'm aware of. But I have had anxiety and depression. And it pretty much nullifies any feeling in your life that, that God is there. And when I'm not depressed, I feel his presence. But when I've been really major depression twice and in both situations I thought I'd lost my salvation 
because I couldn't feel his presence. And so this guy has, has really come a long way in his healing, and he has good days and bad days. And there are some days he's sending me texts about how good God is and how much he loves Jesus. And then two days later, he's saying, I, I'm not sure that, that, there, you know, that, that, that God loves me. I'm not sure my sins are forgiven. I feel so guilty. And I write to him, feelings mean nothing. You are in Christ Jesus. You are saved. You will go to heaven when you die. But in the meantime, he is in you and you are in him. But I don't feel, I don't feel that way. I don't feel holy. Well, get over it. You're holy. <laughs> you are holy because you're in Christ. You say, well, Neil, but I don't act holy. I mean, I sin sometimes. Yeah, well, so do I. In fact, I'm going to tell you a story. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what I did. I'm just going to tell you I did something wrong. It was sinful, and I immediately regretted it. Now, after walking with the Lord as long as I have, I've learned to run to him and not away from him when I sin. I don't, I don't go over in the bushes with Adam and Eve. I just run straight to him and say, Lord, I screwed up. And he's like, yeah, I know. I know, I know that. I was there. Yeah. In fact, he told me, <laughs> he said, Neil, he said, uh, I, you were acting like I was in some other universe, and you were all by yourself. And uh, he's like, I, I never left you for a moment. And he said, you know, I mean, so guys, some of you may be thinking, what did Neil do? <laughs> all right, let me just say this. Tony Campolo, some of you know him back in the day, he said, if I knew, no, if you knew the stuff that I've done, you would be sitting in front of me right now listening to me talk. He said, but don't get uppity. He said, if, if I knew what you did, I wouldn't be standing up here talking to you. <laughs> so this is a two-way street. So anyway, it was sin. But Jesus wasn't turned off by that. In fact, he said, Neil, come on. He's like, first of all, as far as the east is from the west, right now that sin is gone. But, he said, it's so much easier to just, you know, like, let me, could we just go ahead and do this exchange thing? Like, like it, this is not a once and for all deal, dude. He's like, you need every moment to give me your life and, let me, and, and, and take mine. You know, I mean, just, just admit that that old dead self is dead and, and the flesh has been crucified and all that. And just stop functioning in that old stuff because it's dead and just let me be your life because there's never been a temptation I couldn't handle but it's moment by moment son it's moment by moment just just exchange you hit a temptation just say like you preached a few weeks ago you know he throws that back in my face I can't but you can so you can't but I can that's what he said not me I mean he said you can't Neil but I can Jesus okay So how do we begin to act more holy? Like, how do we begin to let this play out in our lives, in our daily expression of, of, of actions and attitudes and, and words that we say to our spouses and so forth? How do we begin to act this way? 
Let me just say this way. Behavior follows identity. Does that make sense? We need to embrace who we are and what has happened to us as if it really has happened. And just say, Jesus, you do this through me. And then just begin to live in that. We don't act holy to become holy. We learn to live in the holiness and the wholeness because we come to see that we come to see what we are in Christ. And as we begin to believe what we are in Christ and what he's done for us and with us and to us, we begin to allow him to live his holy life through us and, and we just begin to act and, and live in holiness. I want to read this quote and then I'm done. This is a guy named Paul Ellis. He wrote this incredible book about grace. The gospel is the definitive announcement that, that in Christ you are holy. Wow. The gospel is the definitive announcement that in Christ you are holy. Jesus took your brokenness down and ragged life, old life, and gave you his whole life in exchange. You have been called into the adventure of discovering who you are in Christ and presenting yourself as a holy offering to the Lord. You are, living a, you are a living and beautiful testimony of the transforming power of His grace. Holiness and wholeness are the very definition of abundant life. So stop pretending that you can finish what He started. Isn't that beautiful? Instead, be confident that He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. And what He's talking about here is just actually living out who we are not doing something new. And don't be discouraged by your sins and mistakes. That's what he told me that night. When you stumble, you are still holy. I'm going to say that again. When you stumble, you are still holy. You are progressing from glory to glory, strength to strength. Know that your Papa God has delight in his eyes as he watches you take your every step. Okay? God is holy and so are you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.